everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. Well, this has been a long-awaited episode for me to bring to you because for decades now, I've been coaching people, a lot of whom have been mothers, on just the motherhood journey and mom guilt. And now that I'm in it myself, I'm realizing a lot of the advice I gave is often hard to digest and hard to implement. There's so many layers to being a mother. And I wanted to bring on a woman who's been on the show before, Ellen Bader, who talked about attachment styles last time she was on the show. She's also a friend of mine and just an amazing licensed psychotherapist. And we've talked about mom guilt off air and have had such great conversations that I wanted to bring it on air. We dive into so much here, attachment theory, parenting, guilt, why there's more mom guilt than dad guilt, the emotional load that women tend to carry, how to forgive yourself if you're doing the consciousness work now and you're looking back at how you parented your perhaps older children and beating yourself up and so much more. So as I said, Ellen Bader is a licensed psychotherapist since 2003. After getting married and becoming a mother to two children, now 12 and 14, she began to focus primarily on couples in her private psychotherapy and coaching practice. She's a certified practitioner of the Psychobiological Approach to Couple Therapy, which is a modality for couples founded by Stan Tacton. She enjoys teaching and consulting on relationship topics, writing her blog on motherhood and relationships, and is fascinated by nature, spirituality human development, and studies a wide range of topics from yoga and meditation to evolutionary social biology. Ellen is also on faculty for the Relationship School, a business founded by her husband, Jason Gaddis, that provides in-depth relationship education and coaching training with humility, humor, depth, and I'd add a lot of integrity. Ellen loves sharing her ongoing learning and integration as a clinician, writer, and teacher with her lived experience as a woman, daughter, sister, wife, mother, and friend. You can learn more about Ellen at ellenbader.com. Before we dive in, I want to thank my sponsor, Organifi, longtime sponsor, because I truly believe in this company. I love their products and I love that they always offer my listeners 20% off any of their orders. You can get their amazing green juice, red juice, their Organifi gold, their immunity packs, so many options there. They're always improving their products and are committed to including things that are easy to add into your diet with a commitment to quality. Again, you can get 20% off any of your orders, not just your first at Organifi.com. That's O-R-G. G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash over it, or just go to Organifi.com and use over it at the promo code box at checkout. And one more thing before we dive in, especially to all the new mamas out there who happen to be breastfeeding, I am obsessed with this company called Milkify, which is the concierge breast milk freeze drying service that transforms your frozen milk into convenient pouches of powder that last for three years on the shelf. This has been huge for me because I was fortunate to have a lot of breast milk and I'm still breastfeeding. So it would have gone bad in a deep freezer in a year. And Athena is now almost 19 months. So I was able to ship all my leftover breast milk to Milkify and it comes back to me in powder and everything's labeled. Anything I wrote on it, like if she was sick or if I pumped it in the morning or then evening. And it's great if I need to travel or anything like that. I just throw the pouches in the suitcase and 
mix it with water, and she has breast milk. So Milkify's patent-pending contact-free process allows them to safely freeze-dry each bag of milk individually without ever touching your milk. That means each bag of frozen milk will become its own pouch of powder, and Milkify will even save any notes you wrote on your bag, like I said, and print them on the pouches. To make a bottle, all you do is add water or just sprinkle the powder onto solids for a nutritional boost. Research shows that freeze-drying retains the nutrients, probiotics, and immune factors in your milk and can help remove the bad taste from high lipase milk. Freeze-drying with Milkify not only helps you take your freezer back and extends the life of your stash, it also helps you with travel, moving, going back to work, lots of other things. Send them a message on Instagram or on their website, milkify.me, M-I-L-K-I-F-Y, and mention the code Christine for $40 off your first order. Again, that's milkify.me or through Instagram and mention the code Christine for $40 off your first order. All right, now on to my conversation with Ellen. Ellen, welcome back to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me again, Christine. It's my pleasure. Well, last time we were talking about attachment styles, which is one of your areas of passion and expertise. And today, I'm sure attachment styles may come up, but today we're going to talk about motherhood, specifically mom guilt. And this is something that's so up for me. And before I was a mom, women would come and ask me about mom guilt. And it just made so much sense to me to say, you're going to be a better mom if you take care of yourself and you're modeling for your kids self-care and you going and doing something for your children, for yourself is good for your children. And it's good for them to love other people too. And you can't be the perfect mother. And that was easy to say when I did not have children. Yes. (laughs) And so I apologize to any of the mothers that I said that to when you were like, but it's not that easy. Um, because for me, and I know a lot of women I've spoken to, it's not that easy. So that's something we're going to unpack a little bit today. Yes. Before we dive into that, I'd love for you to share a little bit of your motherhood journey. When it started, how old your kids are, you know, mm-hmm. if you were sure you wanted to have kids, what was your journey from maiden to mother? Oh my gosh. Well, I'd love to hear yours too. I know a little bit, but love to know more. I was never sure if I wanted to have kids. I was one of five kids. And while I loved having lots of siblings, I, I didn't love the stress and some of the chaos that came with my family of origin. And I just didn't see my parents enjoying it. I saw them stressed out a lot. They love us a ton. And they would look back and say, yeah, it was too much for a little too long there. So I sort of got very you know, I knew I wanted to be a therapist at age 14. So I was very interested in building my career and, and I really identified with feminism and as a young woman wanted to have lots of options. I wanted to postpone marriage and kids. It just was not, I just didn't feel any urgency to do any of that. And, and I really invested in my career. I traveled, I did all kinds of things that really were enriching me in my life. And that felt really good. And then it was in my early thirties meeting Jason that I actually got very interested in being married and saw the value of having a committed partnership. I knew I wanted Mm -hmm. a long-term partnership by then and knew I wanted to be married, which I'd never really, you know, I, I'd always been like, yeah, married or not, you know, it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter anymore. Like I can, I can, I don't need to be married. But I, I eventually saw the value of that kind of security. So we could just grow and develop in other ways. 
And then soon after we got married, so I was 34 when we got married, um, Jason was like, I'm ready for kids. And <laughs> I was, neither of us had like the day before he wasn't, I promise you. And then like mm-hmm. that day he was like, I'm, I'm ready. I want to do this. And so I was quickly thrown into, wow, my partner's really ready for this. I'm not sure. I kind of wanted to postpone this till the last moment of my reproductive life. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, I took it to therapy. I took it inward. I really looked hard at what would be my reasons for becoming a mother. How could I have that? You know, if my kids ever asked me one day, like, mom, why'd you have kids? I wanted to have a really, an answer that was really right for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I questioned a lot when I was a kid, why, why did my parents have kids? Like this looks Mm-mm. really hard for them. I don't, I don't think they like this. Yeah. And five and is a lot. Five is a five lot. Is a lot. I, could, I would suck at five kids. I mean, <laughs> I totally suck at that. So I have a much different perspective now as a parent on that, but I really wanted to know that for myself, for my future children, if I were to have them and did all that work and and at 35, uh, became a mom. I had my son. And then at 30, he was, a. I had my daughter a little less than two years later. So by 37, I, we had two kids and they're now 12 and 14. And I had no idea if I would love it. I was worried I would really miss solitude. I, I like, I mm-hmm. love my time alone time, at least at that point in my life, I really did. I love, I really knew at 35, like how to resource myself. I loved my career so much. Like I had a really established identity and life that I loved. And I was really worried about kind of upending all of that, but I really trusted Jason. I was like, he's not going to let me like ruin my life. This is not going to be a life ruining experience. This is I'm, I was psyched. I was looking forward to this huge adventure and huge unknown. And I, I ended up just immediately, as they say, like falling in love. I used to just like cringe mm. at that when parents say, oh, I fell in love with my child. I was like, that's not how that works, but it is. There's a certain kind of falling in love with a child. And right. that really, really happened for me. So then I was, then I was really thrown into, I think a lot of maybe why this is an important conversation for me today, because I've so like, when you asked if I'd be interested in doing this, I was like, Oh, you have no idea. Like I, <laughs> I have turned over this topic and these feelings of, of being a mother and how to, how to do it in a way that I feel really great about how to balance all these really important areas of life. I really went deep into that because I loved being a mom and I loved my work and I loved a lot of things about myself and my life that that had to evolve because I was a parent and it's been an, it's been a really incredible growth journey and not easy. <laughs> no, <laughs> and, not and, easy. Yeah. And I mean, it makes me curious about you too, Christine, because I mm. know you had your child a little later on in life as well. And that's, it's, you know, coming into motherhood, yeah. a, re- a career you love, a really established mm-hmm. identity. It's a, it's a different kind of process maybe than if I'd done it at 25 or something, yeah. you know, um, it's very different in your early forties mm-hmm. than I think it would be in yeah. your early twenties. At least I'm yeah. projecting that. Sure. And, you know, I was very much on the fence of having a child. The main reasons were I knew I'd be conflicted. Mm-hmm. And I also, this is the mad, the most, the biggest reason I am a warrior. 
I have been since I was a kid. I've worked on it and nauseam <laughs> so mm-hmm. much. And part of it's a trauma response. Part of it, I think, is just my wiring. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if I wanted, I knew that I would fall in love with my child. And I wanted to spare myself mm-hmm. a lifetime of worry and anxiety. That was yeah. a really honest conversation I had to have with myself because it's like, and I also didn't want to raise a child with an anxious mother. Right. So I had to do a lot of work on how can I shift this pattern inside of me and how can I work with the part of me that worries instead of trying to make it go away? How can I work with that part and not have it run the show? You know? Yeah. So now I see it as a part, but it doesn't, doesn't drive the show. But I you know one of the things I have guilt about, um, so I, I had a home birth and it was, it, it was, I wouldn't say it was super traumatic, but there was definitely some trauma involved because I stopped contracting. My audience has heard this. Anyway, I stopped contracting, ended up, they wanted to transfer me, ended up pushing her out with no contractions. And so there was this very much like, I've got to get her out and my body isn't helping me. And I just have to do it because my water broke and I was on the 36 hour clock, which I think is kind of ridiculous, but that's another conversation. Yeah. So there was this intensity of like, I have to get this baby out and it's all like on me and the, you know, my muscles and my will. (laughs) God, I just have chills as you're saying this. Oh my God. So, Mm -hmm. and I was really tired because I'd been in labor for 38 hours. So when she came out, it was this feeling honestly of shock of of like, and, and then meeting this you know, baby that I felt so connected to, but also I think just the labor I went through, just my brain was like, what just happened? Like what just happened? And one of the things I have massive guilt about is after, and I talked about this on the previous episodes, my audience is like, oh my gosh, Christine, you're talking about this again. (laughs) (laughs) But I had, you know, she was on me skin to skin. I nursed her. There was immediate pain with breastfeeding. I knew she had a tongue tie right off the bat. And after a few hours, my midwife were like, okay, she's going to sleep for four hours. We're going to wrap her up, take her into the living room. You need to sleep. Like you've been up for basically 45 hours. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And I laid down in my bed and then like an hour and a half later, I ran out there and I was like, I can't be away from her. So even that like short amount of time where in my head, I'm like, she should have been on me. She should have mm-hmm. been like with me. But my whole early um, postpartum was this mix of being like totally in love with my child in a massive shock of how overnight everything I knew for the past 20 something years was totally gone. My life as I knew it completely changed. And I was very used to my life. I got 20 years doing whatever Mm -hmm. I wanted to do Mm -hmm. and tongue tie decisions about that problems with breastfeeding, lots of gas as a baby. And so there was this, like, of course, my hypervigilant pattern was like really, really up. So I didn't have this, you know, I had moments of this baby bliss and all of that, but I feel like I was in shock for mm-hmm. quite a while postpartum. Mm-hmm. And I was in a, I don't know if I had diagnosable PPA or PP or postpartum depression, mm-hmm. um, but I definitely think I was in a trauma response for, you know, quite a while. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I have guilt about that. I have guilt about, oh, did I, should I have, she, she slept in my bed for longer. Or should I, you know, all, you know, I, oh, there's so yeah. many things I go back and beat myself up over and I'm only 18 months. In. <laughs> oh, I know. oh my God. Oh <laughs> yeah. And it's, I think your experience is more 
typical than atypical, honestly, with, with especially, you know, having a difficult birth, first birth, having, you know, challenges from the get-go. I mean, who, everyone has something that's difficult usually. And, and then also all this, I think, you know, this lovely, but challenging to employ difficult, this, this information about attachment and, you know, mm-hmm. infant development and, and what's optimal, you know, I'm putting quotes around optimal around that. And attachment theory can also be part of really having parents feel guilty, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just all of this sounds really, I, I mean, I'm so glad you share it because, you know, as you process and work through it and you still are, of course, um, that's just going to be really valuable for people to hear. Like every woman's journey is, is unique and different and they're all really valuable for us to hear around this just because no one's is the same, but we're all working with stuff that's hard and complex for sure. Yeah. And, and thank you for that because I really want to have an honest dialogue because whether your child is 14 or Mm -hmm. 14 months, most mothers are carrying around something or many things about, I know the way it should have been. And, you know, for me, I was comparing my journey too often to other mothers. And finally someone said to me, Christine, I have three kids. I hated the newborn and baby face, like hated it. Wouldn't go back. I was like, really? (laughs) I feel so much better because it wasn't like I was hating it, but it was really hard. Mm -hmm. And and she didn't seem that happy in her body. And I kept thinking I was doing something wrong. And then I felt, trem- then the guilt of, oh, I was so lucky to conceive a baby naturally and have a home birth at my age. Like I should be grateful. I shouldn't have any bad thoughts. And oh. she's going to feel these bad thoughts and she's going to think she's unwanted. And then all my developmental psychology, babies can feel <laughs> everything. They're not supposed to be apart from their mother, but I'm not sleeping. And me not mm. sleeping makes me an awful person. Like, so it was just this constant. <laughs> yes. And and thank you for just navigating that because I, I actually think there's a lot of women who won't let themselves acknowledge the truth because it, it is so scary. It, it's mm. like scary to feel things that aren't congruent with how we think we should be or want to be. Um, or we start doing things in our parenting that we thought we'd never do. Like we thought we'd co-sleep for years and we're like, Oh my God, reading about sleep training, like how maybe this mm-hmm. is the answer, you know, mm-hmm. things that you never thought. And, um, I, I mean, I just really, again, appreciate your willingness to look at everything that was coming up because it's such, it's going to be a paradoxical situation. I just think that's, that's one of the first things I remember feeling in motherhood was mm-hmm. like, the paradox is so strong in my life now, like this desire to be deeply connected with my children and be present for all of this. And then this desire to not lose sight of my own life and my own development and like what I, the other things I came here to be part of and participate in and do. And, and the tension of that, I I just remember those first few years feeling really, it, it was maybe less guilt. I definitely had a lot of fear and concern about messing them up (laughs) because Mm -hmm. like when we, something would go wrong or like someone wasn't okay. It's like, Oh my God. Or, you know, with all the information I have, it it, at times was just like a terrible burden to, to, like you said, you know, worry about their development. And, um, is this just fucking them up? Cause they can feel and they know. And, um, but then also just this 
constant inner conflict. I, I felt like I couldn't rest anywhere very long. Like as right. when I was like finally reconnected with my kids, I was like, huh, this is great. And then eventually I was like, okay, I can't be here too long because I can't let everything else go. And then I'd leave for work. And then that whole process of leaving felt so anxiety provoking for me because I didn't really want to go. And I felt really needed at home. But then once I got there, I felt good. And mm. I was like, oh, this is a part of me that I really know. And it's familiar. And I like this part of myself. And I like it because at home as a mother, it, like, I didn't know anything. I, I was like, this is new. Everything's different. I don't know how to do this. I'm figuring it out as I go. But I could go to work and like settle into something about myself that felt really good. And so I'd come home. I'd feel resourced. The kids were okay every time. <laughs> and so and then I'd go through that whole cycle again for like years. Mm. And I remember, I almost said this to you the other day. I was like, I, I started to tell myself like, just Ellen, notice how you feel when you come home from work. Like notice how you feel and notice how the kids are doing. Like just take the most objective view of, the, of those two things mm -hmm. when you walk in the door after. And always I felt, I felt kind of reset yeah. because um, I wasn't where I had the incredible privilege of working when I wanted and how much I wanted. So I'd be gone for a few hours, a few times a week, basically. That was my perfect number. And then I'd come home, I'd feel reset. I'd feel kind of clear and awake and, mm -hmm. and the kids were good. They were always like doing something good. They were either with Jason or with someone we loved that was taking care of them, one of their caregivers. And I, I just kept letting that in because mm -hmm. I was, that was like, that was, I, I felt like that was the most objective <laughs> information for me. Just like notice what happens when you come home because the leaving was hard. Building up to leaving was hard. Not leaving was hard. Like I'm yeah. like, so much is hard, but this moment always affirmed that like, it's okay. It's okay for me to go. It's okay for me to do these things. They're okay. And with the people we've entrusted them with, yeah. but it took, I had to do that for years, like literally to, to start to feel like I could trust what I was doing. Yeah. And I, I did not anticipate this. Like I hired a nanny, you know, when I was six months pregnant thinking in three months, I'd be back to work a couple of days a week. Mm -hmm. No, it took me until she was five months to even have our nanny give her a nap. Sure. <laughs> you know? yeah. It took me a really long time. And part of that was because I wanted to, but part of it was guilt, mm. you know, and thinking that she wasn't going to feel loved or any of, of those things. And you mentioned something about knowing what we know, and this is, this has been really challenging for me. I thought all my personal development work and knowledge would make parenting easier for me <laughs> in some ways mm. it has but in other ways it's made it a lot harder because mm. i know so much and i read so many books on you know you know what babies need and and developmental psychology and it's what i teach and so an attachment theory mm -hmm. and so when i am doing something that i feel like isn't in alignment with that then the guilt comes in so i'd love you to talk a little bit about attachment theory and also the pressure because it was it's interesting. I was preparing for this interview last night and Instagram just knows how to trigger me. It really, really does. So Instagram kept showing me these people talking about how it's unnatural to leave your child with anyone else. 
it's terrible to sleep train. Your baby mm. should be with you. We're mammals. They should, you know, the first nine months, they should be with you. The baby doesn't know he or she is separate from the mother and all that kind of stuff. And I did that a lot, a lot, mm-hmm. but I also had help. My yeah. best friend, my husband and, and help we hired. And I had to weigh out, like, if I don't actually get some sleep and some rest, I I might get sick. Like I might not oh, be yeah. around for, for a while. Totally, totally. And yes. I didn't have, Athena wasn't the kind of baby. He would just like lay down in my bed and go to sleep. She needed a lot of burping. She needed a lot of care. She woke up a lot. Like it took us a while to find a rhythm. So, but every time I see something on like attachment theory and, you know, it's unnatural for you to be separate from your baby at all. And I just am like, oh, it gets me. It, it, yeah. I allow it to get me. So can you speak to attachment and, and attachment theory and a lot of the strong opinions that are out there? Yeah, I would love to because I I think this is so important. Okay, so I have been studying attachments for, I don't know, 23 years and I'm still learning about it. So there's that. Okay. It's a huge evolving field. It's there's, we're constantly learning more. And so no Instagram post could possibly touch the depth and the breadth of this complex, incredibly complex relationship we have with the people we depend on most. So let's, let's know that first. And then second of all, you know, I have done a really, it's ridiculous. The research I've done on this, because I went down many rabbit holes early as early in my motherhood too, to try to understand not only attachment better, but also just sort of the evolution of mothering and the cultural overlays, like how mothering has evolved. And so um, there's incredible, incredible work done by amazing women that's very buried and not accessible to all of us in academia, in feminist literature. The high level view is basically that, you know, there are cultures all over the world that mother and parent differently and have securely attached children. Okay. That's the thing. That's the high level view. There is not one way Mm. to have a healthy relationship with your child and in your family. There are some principles around it, which I'll get into, but the way that the way those principles get played out look very different from culture to culture. And so I'm going to come back to that, but also know Christine that I also did this deep dive into evolutionary sociobiology because mm. I am just obsessed with learning um, and nerdy. But in, in you know, ninety five percent of our evolution was spent as hunter gatherers, which means we were traveling around, you know, four thousand miles or so a year with our babies. Okay, mm. so. How did we, for not, for 95% of our evolution before modern times, how did we do this? Well, we did it with, we're, we're the only mammals. Yes, we're mammals and mammals do attachment with their babies, but humans attached with several adults with mm. actually many caregivers there. We are the first, we are the mammals that share our babies on the day of their birth. So just remember that what you did that day when you took a nap and someone you deeply trusted was holding your baby, women have been doing that. Humans have been doing that forever. 
And that's, it's one of the, it's any, anyway, there's some incredible work done by a woman named Sarah Hurdy, really researching motherhood from an evolutionary perspective. And, and just know that like we, we share our babies. It's the only way we could have survived because there's, they need so much care for so long. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no fur for them to cling to. Um, we're upright. We have to forage for our own food. We don't really have to anymore, but mm-hmm. you know, we evolved in a way that meant that we shared babies with aunts, grandparents, cousins, fathers, of course, we shared care. We shared care. And so please never feel bad about that. Um, because I think the attachment literature has gone into at least the mainstream attachment literature can, um, kind of support this idea that there's one primary caregiver and that relationship is the most important and you should never not be with that person. And that's not true. That's not Mm -hmm. true from an attachment science perspective. And really, yes, we all those attachment behaviors about co-sleeping and breastfeeding and wearing your baby are lovely for developing that connection and for being close to them, being able to track their signals. But that alone does not provide the the it, that alone cannot create a secure attachment. Like you, you know as well as I do, I think, Christine, that you could do all that as a mother. And, you know, wear the baby, sleep with the baby, breastfeed the baby, and be so anxious and depleted that all you're doing is, is, is really dysregulating that baby. You know, like I've had days like that as a mother where I'm like, I'm with my kids today. And I'm like, I feel like a shell of a person today for whatever reason. And I'm like, this day sucks for all of us. And they're with me, they're on me maybe, but we're struggling the whole day. And that is not, because it's not essential it's not just those behaviors that provide it. It's, it's being self-reflective. It's the things you did being resourcing yourself, getting help, um, making sure your body and mind are in as good a shape as can be given that you're sleep deprived and your whole identity is unearthed and upside yeah. down and your life is never, you know, all that, you know, it's like, how good, how good can it be? It's going to be complex. And, and I think babies are incredibly capable of of handling that because we've handled it. We've handled it for thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And, um, and again, there's just been a mistake, I think, in the attachment, attachment parenting has come out of attachment science and sort of made it simple for parents to be like, okay, I do this, this, and this, that's secure attachment. And I cannot tell you how many parents have come up to me that know I study attachment and say, you know, I did all the things and I'm learning that my kids are insecurely attached through therapy or other mm-hmm. things. And they're like, now I'm learning how to really do it. Finally. I've mm-hmm. had so many people come up to me and talk about that. Cause I'm like, yeah, it's not, it's not just those procedures that do it. It's our, our presence our which again, it's not still like the quality of our presence matters. That's a huge responsibility, but you could you could, it means you could have a good night's sleep or if breastfeeding didn't work for you and your body, or if co-sleeping didn't work, or you have an injury and you can't carry your baby, like you can still have secure attachment. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah. What are the things that, um, do create secure attachment and, and is it formed? Cause a lot of attachment theory will say 18 months, boom, it's locked in. (laughs) I know. I know. 
Um, it's interesting because it is this like it's a stable, consistent aspect of ourselves over time and it's malleable. So like we have to stay really flexible in our mind here. This is hard for us to grasp that something could be stable and consistent and also adaptable and malleable and changeable, but it's Mm -hmm. true. And I'm took me a while to, to really feel like I understood this too, because, um, yes, there's an attachment style based on who we are as parents. Our kids are adapting to our how we respond to their feelings, how we respond to their needs, how we interact with them. They're adapting to that. They're leading that at times. We're following them. There's a co-regulation happening. But basically, by the time they're a year to 18 months, there's they know they they feel either very confident coming to us for resourcing and then leaving us to go explore, or they don't feel very confident in that process. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and that can be built on, it can be reworked. I I feel like I've watched my kids go through times where they seem less secure in our relationship. And I've done things to make it more feel, I'm like, I know what I need to do to make this more secure. You know, like, I think it is more, it's just, it's something we can influence over time, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. So it's not like, oh my God, if I don't get this in the first 18 months, we're screwed. No. (laughs) And because again, children can go through like hospital procedures. Parents go through depression, anxiety, losses, like life is happening. We can't always navigate it beautifully. And we've, of course we can, it just makes sense. Like, of course we could recover in our relationships. Um, yeah. It doesn't make sense that we couldn't. And so I think for parents, the, what the research supports the most, um, again, I look to Dan Siegel for this. He's an incredible source for attachment research. So basically the main things are a parent who self-reflects. Now, now this is not something that attachment parenting talks about, right? Cause this is, com- this is complicated, but a parent who self-reflected on their own childhood, their own parenting, and has like a coherent story, a coherent narrative, they say, but a story that makes sense, that includes the good and the bad that, um, you know, has been integrated into their life experience and is an on, you know, is happening in an ongoing way, that is a huge, that is actually, the research has shown that that's the most important determinant of whether that person can, can create a secure attachment with their children. Okay. Mm. So I think it's important for us to appreciate that, like working on yourself, learning about your life, uh, integrating your life, your important, difficult and beautiful life experiences relationally is going to help you as a parent and it's going to help your family. You're the mm-hmm. whole vibe and connection. So that alone is huge. And then of course, there's the quality of care and responsiveness we want. Um, and again, this is a moving target because you're factoring in like who a parent is, who a child is, their t- temperament and biology and different and neurodiversity. I mean, it goes on and on, right? But really the principles are about um, helping your child feel safe, uh, soothed, you know, comforted, seen, like care, like that their inner life is of value to use, of interest, that you're curious about them and supported in their growth and development, which means, which includes having boundaries and includes yeah. really pushing and encouraging them at times as, as children get older, sometimes they need us to, to say like, I know you can do this. 
and not overprotect and not rescue them from challenges, but to give them support to meet challenges. So it's, there's so much we could say here, of course, Christine, like Mm -hmm. there's books and volumes written on, on, on how to do this, but just, I just want people to notice that I didn't say co-sleep for two years, breastfeed for three, (laughs) baby wear that, you know, it's those things, again, support being close, physically close to your child, which is going to support you being responsive and there and know them. But these much more complex social, social, emotional capacities are really what human beings need because we're socially and emotionally complex. Yeah. And I can remember times when I was like super just exhausted or really deregulated or mm-hmm. really just so depleted. And my best friend was here for a while from Australia thank goodness. And she'd be like, go sleep. I'll take her. I've slept. I'm regulated. I'm, I'm, I'm not depleted. Let yeah. her, cause until we learned how to help her sleep, she could only sleep being held. She's like, just let her be with me. And although there was that guilt, it was also like, I may not be the best person for her to take a two hour nap with right now, you know, <laughs> because totally. yes. I'm going to be laying there trying to sleep. Like you know, and in my head, whereas I can just, if I just go in my room, put some earplugs in and actually get rest, I'm going to be better for her in two hours. So of course my conscious mind knows that, but you know, the part that, you know, just, this feels guilty. So I'd, I'm going to circle around a little bit because there's a lot you said I want to unpack, but I want to go to like, what, I don't hear the term dad guilt too much. I'm sure maybe it's there, but I don't hear it as much as I do mom guilt. And I don't hear many men talking about it. Like my husband just left for nearly two weeks. He's like, I miss her so much. I'm like, then why'd you live for so long? (laughs) I could never have done that at 18 months old. Right, right. So why is it? I mean, I'm sure there's a biological reason, but Mm -hmm. I think why do women feel it more? Why do moms feel it more? This is such an important part of the conversation. I'm so glad you're bringing it up because I, I will also say, Christine, like if you think about all the people you've coached over the years, the decades, Um, I know when I think about my practice, I have had most of the women I've seen, if not all who were, who were mothers, part of our work was working on their deep conflicts around motherhood, their guilt, their Mm -hmm. worry, um, their, you know, just the, the challenge to, to meet all the demands in their life, how spread thin they felt. Um, am I doing enough? Am I doing it right? Like, a lot of work around their role, identity, and way of being a mother. I have had many men in my practice, never has one brought this up, Mm. but not once has a man come in and said, I'm feeling so depleted and overwhelmed as a dad. I'm feeling really conflicted about working and parenting. Like they don't, from what I can see, it's, that for some reason, women are still carrying this burden. Yep. And I agree. I haven't, I haven't ever in my 20 years of coaching had a yeah. father come and say that. No. And, and that that's a problem in our society. <laughs> that's a huge mm-hmm. problem. And, you know, I can remember, like, I think, like, I remember watching Jason when our kids were little and, you know, they were very close in age. We had two very young children and he, just by being with them, he was, he was getting an enormous amount of social support. Like he would take them to the grocery store and it was like, Oh my God, you're such a great dad. (laughs) Um, and, or just carrying them around or helping me with something was like help. It's like, Oh, he's so involved and engaged. 
no one ever says that about a mom. No one ever like, gosh, that mom is so involved and engaged. And Mm. look, look at her in the store with two little kids. Isn't that great? Like no one notices you, no one notices the women. And so I think these things speak to these incredible discrepancies still alive and well in our society where men get enormous acknowledgement for doing the basics of parenting and women get nothing. And, and if not, if not are constantly criticized and don't feel like they're getting it right or doing it well enough. And then men also don't feel, and again, this, I don't know, it's a good question. Like, is it, is it biological? Is it because we've, you know, been pregnant and gone through all this, you know, two years at least of massive physical change and breastfeeding and all of that and birth the child that we feel a lot more conflict around how to do modern life and parent that that may be one of the main reasons. But I, I think it's largely social because there actually is a lot of research to show that when men are in proximity to young children, their responsiveness as parents gets activated and turned on. So if men are around their babies and around their young ones, they can be just as responsive parents. They just have a higher threshold to all that responsiveness coming online. Mothers typically have a lower threshold, if that makes sense, to Mm. responding to their babies. And so, but if you put men or if they're with their babies enough, they, that comes online. So I think biologically, we're not that different, but I don't think, I think socially we're quite different in how we see women and men when it comes to parenting. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think so too. And I have a really conscious present husband and he really has done a lot and I've done more like the Mm -hmm. mental load of what she eats, what, you know, what's going on with her health. I did all the research on how we ever going to help her sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just like, you know, he can leave for a trip and just leave. I'd be like, okay, here's breast milk. I have to pack a pump. Here's what she needs to eat. Make sure she has this. You know, I can never just leave. And I, I do believe in gender roles to some extent. I think that they're valuable. I think that we Mm -hmm. are now talking in this dynamic of men and women, like we, there are different things that come more naturally. And he's often said to me, you just know what to do with her. And that's true on some level, but it's also just because I've put just so much time in and because totally. it occupies so much of my space. And this is another thing I wanted to talk to you about. I, another thing that people would tell me is your instincts are just going to kick in. My instinct to love her kicked in, but I didn't, when I had breastfeeding challenges, I had to reach out to an expert. When I was like, how am I going to help this child sleep? I had to reach out to somebody when she wasn't really eating that well. I had to, I, I got some help from people that knew more than me. And I think that's another place where there's shaming I see going on. Like there's this whole, just trust your instincts. No one knows better for your baby than you. And there were certain times where like, actually somebody knew better, like what was going to help Athena. I had to discern if their information was going to be appropriate or not. I found the person. I sought that person out. I didn't just blindly follow someone, but at times I did consult people because I didn't know, you know, what what to do. So can you speak a little bit to that whole like expectation that as mothers, we're just supposed to know for our kids and nobody ever is going to know better for our child than we will? Yeah. That, that sounds crazy now, right? Because 
how could we possibly know everything? I mean, there's so much to learn. Like we're nurses, we're dietitians, we're like <laughs> homeschoolers, you know, COVID. Yeah. I mean, like there's so much to learn and know. And I'm, I'm with you in that. Um, I saw we, Jason and I both sought out practitioners advice, you know, we felt like we didn't know anything. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think I like how you put it, which is like, I, I got to discern the information and try things and then feel out what was working, what wasn't, what she might need, but there are people who know a lot more and we want to utilize them. And I, I recently in this kind of evolutionary sociobiology dive I've been in, you know, there is something about humans where that our, our children require the most care and investment and are so energy and resource heavy, right? Yeah. Of, of all the mammals. And, and so what typically happens is that mothers, it takes mothers a while to commit. So you described actually something that I think is really wise, Christine, which was in that early postpartum, as you were reeling from a very difficult, scary, intense birth. And 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 then of course the aftermath of in t- your entire world being completely different and trying to figure everything out it's really normal for women to take time in this process of really committing to their children and <laughs> i'd never read about this before but i feel like you know our instincts are we have survival instincts and we're we some part of our mammalian system is recognizing that now the majority of our calories ingested, our physical energy is going to be four years going towards this infant. And there's a whole process that some of us go through and feel around getting completely on board with that. So, you know, our instincts are, we have survival instincts. Yes. And they're, they're multifaceted. And then some of us, like I, when I, my first child was born, it was immediate connection. And, and that's not, but I had a smoother birth than you. (laughs) I think that made that part of it. Um, so there's so many things that go into this, so many events and hormones and everything, but you know, our instincts are not to know like what to do about teething. Like that's information we need to go get. Like our instincts are about survival and and how to thrive. And, and also for ourselves, like, I, I just think it's important to name that we have survival instincts for us and that, that need that you had to sleep, which is very real and really important for your mental and physical health and healing and recovery from pregnancy and birth and postpartum, like those, those are survival instincts that are kicking in and why you need to have people you love and trust that can, you can hand your baby to, or, time away, like whatever different mothers need different things and different amounts. But that's the, that's the instincts I want mothers listening to is like, Mm. what's going to help me feel like I can do this for years. (laughs) It's a huge thing. And I think when we get stuck with all the attachment ideas or, you know, am I, you know, the good enough, I had a lot of the, am I, am I doing anything good enough? I'm not doing anything good enough. Um, I had to wrestle with that for a while. Like, yeah, um, you know, our instincts to look after ourselves are still online and then to look after our babies. And sometimes it feels like it's in conflict, partly because I think of how society is set up and, and honestly, even some of this attachment information has kind of 
made it harder for some of us. Yeah. Yeah, it has. And what in in your experience, both as a mm-hmm. practitioner and therapist and as a mother, how have you dealt with letting go of the guilt? Like letting go of the any regret. Cause I'm 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 guessing there's things you've done as a mother that sometimes you look back and go, oh my gosh, why'd I do that? Yeah. Um, I feel like any mother feels that way. How do we navigate that? How do we get to the other side of that? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, that's a million dollar question. <laughs> Just follow these three steps. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I'm still like, it's a practice. I think for me, um, it's like what I said about observing the outcomes, like observing what happened when I came home from work, like, okay, so I left and that felt, I felt conflicted about going to work and I, it felt really hard to leave and no one wanted me to go. And it was like, I kind of left it, ran out of the house. Like, oh, yeah. it's okay. Like I had to really watch what happened when I came back. Like how, how were we all from having gone through that difficulty? And I think I still do that with my kids. Like how, like plugging in with them ongoingly helps me feel assured that we're okay. Yeah. Even though God, I'm not so sure if this is the right school or the right, it's been so many things over the years and, you know, should, should sleeping in a room by themselves versus with their, with each other, with Mm -hmm. us, or, you know, like, uh, gosh, vaccines, that's a whole, that's a whole thing, right? That's so loaded. Like there's been so many things that we've navigated. And then it's for me coming back to the present, like really feeling like, you know what, I have a strong, good relationship with these people. (laughs) And that, that is what I, that's what soothes me and calms me. I think when I'm like, God, I don't know if we're doing this right. Or I don't know if my kids are going to look back and be like, I I wish we'd had this kind of education or I Mm -hmm. wish, you know, my kids want to live on a farm with animals. We, that's not what Jason and I want to (laughs) do, but my kids are like, that'll be one of their complaints is like, we should have had acres of and farm chores. <laughs> like they think that would be so fun. And, uh, I'm like, that sounds like not fun, but know. <laughs> you know, there's things that they've shown us or told us that I'm like, yeah, they, there's some different things they want that aren't us and we don't do. And that's, or things maybe we've done, you know, I, I just think I come back to like, we can, I can repair. So mm-hmm. like repair is huge that that's again, that's actually, I want to just mention right now that that is again, a huge part of building secure attachment is repairing even with our babies. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sorry, I, you were upset for so long and I didn't know what you needed. (laughs) I love you. And I'm going to figure this out with you, you know, to our saying those things for our infants. And then also repairing as we go. Like, I don't, you know, wow, I'm seeing that this really has been stressful for you. And I didn't realize that till now. And we're, I'm going to, do this differently or whatever we can do to repair along the way, I think builds, I know, uh, from the science that it builds security and faith in each other. And, and I guess I do know that I'm, I'm guessing my kids will have complaints or have things they didn't like, or wish we'd done yeah. differently. And I'm, of course, I think, cause I know my values. I'm like, I think I can stand in most of the choices I'm making. Like some, I might look back and be like, yeah, I didn't have the right information or good information and I did, was doing the best I could. 
Um, and I'm sorry, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, I hope that because we've had this strong relationship over time that we can, mm-hmm. we can repair and recover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the sleeping thing, and I know that's something that's big for me and so many people that I talk to and sleep, you know, not just for babies, but young kids and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Is there research that supports that sleeping? I know we talked a little bit about this, but especially as kids get older, that sleeping in the same room or in the parent's bed is actually better for their development than having their own space. I don't know of any research that supports that. Yeah. That says one way or another. I think, um, yeah, that would be interesting. Um, I don't know how we totally measure that, but I think that, um, you know, this is where it's cultural too. Like in our culture, kids have their own rooms. Like it's normal to have these big, big houses really. And everyone has their own space and the couple, I want, if you're, if you're coupled, I want couples to have time together. That was something that was important to me and Jason after a while. We're like, we want to like, we don't want the kids in between us. We want to sleep together. Like this is like the little bit of time we get. And, and so that helped us move on with, you know, establishing the kids in their own beds. And, um, but I think I love the idea of co-sleeping. I, it makes perfect sense to me, but Mm -hmm. my family, my kids didn't love it. It didn't work great for us either for very long, you know? Um, and I had one kid, that was, you know, easily, easily developed a sleep routine and another one that took like three and a half years. So every kid's different, every person. And so I think I would not, I I think if I think sleep, I think the research has shown Christine that sleep is more important than how you sleep. Just getting quality sleep is actually way more important to our health and well-being than how like if we're sleeping together or not. Yeah. And yeah, you have to know your child and know yourself too. Yes. Like I'm I'm actually better if I don't sleep with anybody in my bed. Like yeah. even my husband. Like yeah. I just I'm a sensitive, I'm projector mm-hmm. in human design. Like I just am Yeah. You know, especially dealing with people all day and like just feeling depleted, having my own space is is really helpful for me at night. Um, and that's one of my biggest takeaways as a parent and where I, you know, have to watch the rabbit holes I go down is like, what's working for our family and what's yeah. working for for me? And like, how is Athena when I go in in the morning? Well, she wakes up on her own. She babbles and talks and la, 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 la for, you know. 30, 40 minutes, she'll stay in there doing that. You know, so I'm like, well, she's not waking up traumatized. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You've got to trust. I like, I just want you to trust that, like trust what you see. Cause I, 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 I can be anxious too. And I've really learned, like, I got to trust what I, what is in front of me. Like, how am I, like, are you, are they really okay? Is it, was I gone too long? You know, and just watching like, no, they're, they're good. Like, like she's, she's, she's content in her crib in the mornings. Like that's a great, it's a great sign (laughs) and trusting that versus the fear of, but what if, and oh my gosh, it's torture. And I'm glad that she knows how to sleep. And I'm glad that I worked with her on learning how to sleep because she just has, she, she, she feels that and knows that. Um, I want to, I'm curious about studies that have been done? Have there been any studies done on mothers who do work mm-hmm. and spend time away from their kids and the impact on children? 
Oh gosh. Um, I'm, I'm curious with you here. Um, the things I know, nothing, nothing specifics coming to mind. Like, is there, is there a general impact on children? Mm -hmm. What I do know is that time together doesn't necessarily equate secure attachment. Okay. So what I've seen and understood from the attachment literature is that it's when you're with them, what happens then, you know, like Mm -hmm. what's the quality of the relationship? Can, can you be present and attentive enough? You know, obviously it's not perfect or all the time, but do you have enough of a quality of a relationship there? And then, and then who, who are they with when they're not with us? Right. Like, do they have people who adults who are invested in their growth and development. And I mean, that's the hardest thing about childcare, like, which yeah. I had no idea was like really finding people that I felt really loved my kids yeah, and could love my kids and really care about them and teach me. So many people taught me things like, did you know that she doesn't like this or he doesn't? And I was like, oh no, <laughs> like, thanks for telling me, um, you know, people that really can invest. And, yeah. and I think that, you know, I, I remember being at, I was somewhere one day and I saw a mom, a, a clearly a working mom who was coming to pick her child up or visit her child at, at, at her daycare. And she walked in and the mom and the child's face like lit up so beautifully. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have chills. I talk about it. And mm-hmm. I was like, I just remember being like, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. It's not that how it's not that this mom is constantly with her baby. It's that when her mom and baby connect, they are, there's this spontaneous joy of, of being together again, that they both felt like, I was like, that's what a baby needs to see. Like that's, Mm -hmm. and so I think that's really, um, although with my daughter, if I was too exuberant, that she didn't like that. So that's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it depends on your kid. (laughs) Um, she was always like, that's too much. And I was, she's Mm -hmm. real sensitive. So we had Mm -hmm. to work with that, but, um, you know, that genuine connection. And I think that for me, it was more, I mean, every family's different. I, there's lots of working parents like that Mm -hmm. have secure attachments with their children. It's, there's nothing that I've ever read about. You have to be with them this much or, Mm -hmm in mm-hmm. this way and and think about it like for hundreds of thousands of years we worked mothers worked they gathered food they went out and gathered water they took care of other people's kids like we were working and parenting mm-hmm. and our kids were with other people who love them and could care for them and like it is not dependent on us being there all the time and for most of us that's that's not sustainable, you know, like it, yeah. parenting isn't meant to be one person all the time or two. It's like, we should have a, we should have a village yeah. and cause they require so much for so long and they should have it if we can provide it, but not we, just, not just ourselves. Yeah. We went on a family trip for the 4th of July, my Steph and I and Athena, of course, and then my sister and her husband and their three kids and my mom and dad, and we all stayed in one house. Mm. And it was the most joyful parenting I've ever had because we had a little mini village yeah. and it wasn't just on me and it wasn't just like me and Steph. It was 
her cousins that were of various ages that could entertain her, her auntie and uncle, her grandparents, the being outdoors. It was just like, oh man, if this is the way everybody could parent, it'd be a lot less stressful. And she was, she was so sad when we left. I mean, she was just having the time of her life. And I just really saw, wow, like, I wish we could live like this. I mean, we could, we could definitely make it happen. It's just not very, you know, there's not even really communities designed to live like that. Um, Maybe that's coming in the future, but it just goes back to, I think one of the reasons why mothers are struggling so much, especially parents in general, but I would say, especially the mothers and the mental load of mothers is because we're doing it unnaturally, you know, like it just doesn't make sense the way we're doing it. And yeah, you mentioned your daughter was sensitive. I'd love in the time we have left to chat a little bit about that. What do you mean by that? First of all, because I want to make sure I'm assuming the same thing that's actually true. Yeah. Well, it could mean so many things, right? My son, my first, he's just a very, just like very grounded, very easygoing, very like loves to try new things, loves people. I never had an issue with anyone I left him with ever. Like, no wonder you had a second so quickly. Yeah, exactly. We're like, oh, this is great. (laughs) This is so easy. I mean, it wasn't easy, but it was like, he was, as far as babies go, he was like incredibly just straightforward, really. Yeah. And, and then my daughter second was totally different. And she, I felt like she would have let me wear her nonstop for years, you know, like she just wanted to be on us, primarily me. And she was sensitive to loud sounds. She was sensitive to any new place we took her. She was just like a koala bear, like trying to crawl back into my pouch, you know, and really just taking everything in extremely observant, not a good sleeper, just very like, this was, this was the way she was sensitive. She had some, Mm -hmm. like someone, you know, it's like, oh, she has sensory sensitivities. And, Mm -hmm. and by the time she was two, I was, I was seeking out, um, some practitioners that I know that work with kids. And I was like, help me understand her because she brings up my anxiety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, cause I'm worried that I'm stressing her. If I leave her by the end of the day, when I was exhausted from carrying her all day, I'm like, is she getting the message that I don't love her? Like a lot of the things mm-hmm. you're saying. And cause I'm like, as soon as Jason or someone would come, I'm like, can you hold her please? <laughs> cause I need to have just a few minutes without someone on me. And, mm-hmm. and so anyway, I got some support with a really fabulous, amazing, wise elder person who works with kids and families. And just to really, just so that I, cause I'm like, I want to support her sensitivity, but I don't right. want to overprotect her from right. life. And I'm like, but tell me if I need to, like, is she someone who should, I should homeschool and like never bring out into the world. <laughs> and, and this person really helped me trust that it was okay to challenge her in certain ways and okay mm-hmm. to um not not kind of over protect these mm-hmm. sensitivities but taught me again how to support her in her body and in her resources and building these capacities that she would need and i by the time she was like 7 she it was it was that was when she first started asking to see friends like she didn't care about anyone else but like her mom dad and brother for like 7 years mm. <laughs> she just wanted to be with us she held her she didn't go to school till she was 4 but you know held her teacher's hand for a year 
like that Aww. whole year. That was how, and she never really wanted to go and she would have rather been home, but we had her really gently, you know, gradually were able to step her into that. Cause I knew I would need it. I knew that I couldn't happily provide what it seemed like she wanted, which was constant <laughs> mom. Yeah. And, and so very gradually over time, um, now she is like the, one of the most loves her friends, very social, very funny, can imitate anyone because she's an amazing observer. She's like Mm. hilarious imitations, but, um, yeah, I think that she, because of her, she was just, yeah, sense her senses were sensitive. Her nervous system was very sensitive and, and it was really important for me to get support with that because I was yeah. worried about, I'm like, I'm going to be anxious about stressing her. Cause I felt stressed a lot as a kid. I was sensitive and I was yeah, me too. not, not tracked and like pushed to be independent really early. And I was, I felt overwhelmed and stressed a lot. And I was terrified of doing that to her, but I also knew that left to my own devices, I could potentially really overprotect her and, mm. and drain and, and not be a happy parent and not be like really enjoying my life because I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, she needs all this stuff and I got to do it. And, well, that wasn't this case, you know? So mm. I, I definitely sought out a few great people. Jason was actually amazing with her. My husband was like really good at helping me not like trusting her more than I could at times. Mm-hmm. So she's got this. And like, he was right. <laughs> Most of the time he still is sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we could balance each other that way, but does yeah. that help and, and describe? Yeah, it? I think so. And I think, you know, every, just describing that sensitivity, there's a lot that I relate to with Athena and again, every kid's different. And I, I, I do think every child is sensitive and, and yes. want some way or another. Yes. And it's, how do we nurture? Like a big thing for me as a parent is how do I nurture her connection to spirit and her connection to the 5d her connection to the things, you know, that are unseen. Yeah and her gifts. Um, but at the same time, like teach her how to be in the world. Cause she did choose to come into a human body. Yes. Like be in the world. And like a lot of times Athena will walk on her tiptoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, That's okay, baby, but you got to feel the ground sometimes, yes. you know? Yeah. And she's very like a new place. She'll cling to me for a while. Once she warms up, she, you know, will go and explore a little bit she really went through, she was going through her clinging with me at 18 months. She wasn't that way when she was little, but it's, it's hitting more now. Mm-hmm. And for me, like I was a very, very sensitive child. I mean, so sensitive was put on antidepressants at 11, I think, cause there's oh. just so many things yeah. that I just did not know how to process. Yeah. But I, I, you really struck something when you said I didn't want to be overprotective because then it's like, how do we foster a sense of self care and, and sovereignty and independence. Yeah. And, you know, cause if they're always dependent on someone else, then how are they not going to be anxious? You know, right. like it, it's just, it's just hard. So kudos to you for navigating that because I think it is a, a dance of like accepting our kids for who they are and also helping like who they are be in the world. Right. Cause uh-huh. the other thing about Athena is she's so strong-willed and I want to nurture that, but yeah. I believe in boundaries with kids and I, you know, she doesn't just eat sleep whenever she wants. Like there's a routine that, yes. that we do. 
So it's like nurturing her strong willedness and sensitivity and cultivating it, but also having some boundaries around it. And that's another thing in the parenting world that gets a little tricky to me because there's a lot out there about kids know what they need. Like, actually they don't. They don't. They don't. (laughs) They are are not regulated. Like, I mean, how long did it take me to figure out what I needed? Probably like 35 years. Yeah. So no, I'm with you in that. I, I love what you're saying. I, um, I think there is a, it's like in the, it's maybe it's from attachment parenting too. this fear of like stressing our kids or having them be upset, but there's a real drawback to our kids' feelings dictating how everything goes. Cause kids' feelings are big and they're dysregulated and they have no life experience or wisdom and, right. you know, we're the leaders and, and it is a very nuanced. I mean, this is, I find parenting really interesting because of these things, but some people find it really overwhelming. Like this constant inquiry around like, yeah, I want my sensitive daughter to like really have these, these gifts that come with being sensitive in these ways. And I want her to be able to feel confident in this very complex, dense, difficult world. And I I want her over time. I know it's going to take a long time, but to be there, she learns what all these signals from her body mean and how to really trust her boundaries. Like her boundaries are amazing because we've, she's really had to consciously work on that. And, um, and I think that, yeah, the, this, this complexity around, yeah, wanting our kids to feel loved and cared about and seen and honored for who they are. And also they need, they need routines and structure. And Mm -hmm. and for us to be leaders, we, we, this is where, yeah, we know, what they're going to have to navigate to some extent in life. And that over time we can be slowly preparing them for that, for responsibilities and realities, you know, over time, we have many years to do this, but it does feel really important. Cause I see a lot of parents who now their kids are older, they're in teenage years. And they're like, we've never set boundaries with our kids. They've always mm-hmm. run the show. And, and adolescence is a disaster. It's, mm-hmm. it's so hard on everyone because the parents have no leadership now because the kids' feelings have led the entire time and not upsetting someone or they're too sensitive for that, or they, they can't handle that. And like, now they have these very fragile, but dysregulated and upset children that are now 15, 16, you know, they're driving away when they're upset. They're, you know, the stakes are so much higher. And now the parents are trying to catch up and learn how to do leadership with someone that doesn't, is like, what the hell are you trying to do? Like this, yeah. is do it. And so I, I really like parents to get more support earlier on if they're struggling with that, because yeah. it's hard to set boundaries with a two-year-old, but guess what? It's way harder with a 16 year old. No, if like, you've if never done it before. If you're struggling yeah. with a two or four-year-old and they're intense, I know, yeah. but get support because it doesn't, it doesn't go away. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's so true. Like, I think that one of the things I've seen um, with mothers who have a mother wound themselves or really didn't feel loved by their own mother or father didn't feel loved, then like the kid becomes this unconditional source of love and they don't want the kid to be mad or upset or anything. And they just pour everything into the child and don't want the kid not to like them, but then there's no boundaries. Yeah. And, um, that I've seen that happen (laughs) with clients and, we have to go back to first, okay, like 
let's heal your mother wound. So you're not looking, you know, for your children to love you unconditionally when you really, it was really your mother that was supposed to love you unconditionally. Right. You know, that's like the, you're looking to your kids for that source rather than healing the wound of not feeling that from your own mother. And then it's like, you know, letting your kids be upset at you. And again, I think it's only 18 Mm -hmm. months old, but there are times where she has been like really, really mad at me. Hey, she was, we were going for a walk the other day and all she wanted was up, up, out, out, up, up, out. (laughs) No, we're in the stroller. No. And it's like, we're in the stroller and she's not her. She's not, you know, in danger. She's not physically experiencing something like we weren't taking the stroller for a walk through a war zone or something like that. You know, (laughs) like it wasn't, but in that moment, like she needed to sit in the stroller because I wasn't going to pick her up and carry her. And that's what I did when I was first a parent until I got some coaching. Yeah. She'd cry. I'd pick her up and be like, okay, you don't want to be in the stroller, baby. Okay. And I'd carry her and end up like with a hurt back and we were both sweaty and I'm pushing the stroller, carrying her. It's like, no, my darling, you got to sit in the stroller. So I mean, my whole point in telling this this silly story is I've had to learn, and this is hard because I'm such an empath. And of course I want my kid to like me, but I've had to learn like, it's okay if she's upset sometimes Yes, because of something I've asked her to do, as long as she's safe, as long as my request actually is for her good. And she's just having an expression about it. Like that's okay. That is so enormous. I love how you spelled that out for people because I, I really think this is for our generation of parents, this is really hard to see, especially the conscious ones that want, like you said, have these wounds that they haven't fully excavated and metabolized and are now parenting from that place of fear of upsetting or losing the connection or their child being upset with them from their own, based on their own childhood stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's, I, I love what you're doing. I really, I really love that. And I think that kids feel there's, there's a security in that, in the, you're okay, you're upset, you get to be upset and we're doing this thing that I know mm-hmm. is safe and okay. And, you know, reasonable mm-hmm. to ask of you, whether it's going to bed or staying in the stroller mm-hmm. or put getting in your car seat mm-hmm. or waiting for something, you know, these things that at, at this particular age, they start to really have strong feelings about mm-hmm. it's different when they're six months old or nine months old, you yeah. know, but at this stage you're at, it's, this is, I think a lot of parents struggle here. And then the, you, you know how like she could get louder and louder and eventually a parent will be like, okay, fine. Yeah. Right. I'll pick you up. And then that's the pattern. Right. And that's a really, that pattern going into later childhood and adolescence is right. very difficult. Right. Very difficult. So better to, better to face it now. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think we've, we like, there's been this, there was a swing towards like just let your babies cry for hours and hours until they exhaust themselves right. and, you know, put a little whiskey on their gums and like children are, you know, better seen, not heard to like have your baby on top of you for nine months. Otherwise yes. you're a terrible mother. Like don't do anything, make your baby your entire universe, be respectful Let them. They don't want to light out and change their diaper. They don't have to. Don't have to. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, where's the middle, you know, yes. and where's the, the place where yes, we're fostering this lovely childhood where a child really feels like they're loved and cared for, but they, they also have boundaries and they also have people looking after them and that they know, you know, the walls in which they can bounce because, um, otherwise, you know, I, I spoke for years on 
generational diversities and the millennial generation being, and this isn't every millennial, but now millennials are 40, but um, millennial generation being entitled and all this stuff. And it was mostly because of parenting. That was the main reason that we had a generation of people that were a little bit slow to launch and not that independent and had a sense of entitlement. Um, So I think that's one thing in my own work as a mom, I have to look at is like, okay, how much is my rejection wound Mm -hmm. and me, her wanting me or me wanting her to just love me and me be her favorite person in the universe influencing my parenting versus like (laughs) what is really needed here. Um, I want to ask you one more question as we wrap up. One thing I hear from many women I coach, especially those who have older children is, oh my gosh, I wish I would have known this when my kids were little. I really feel like I messed up my kids because I wasn't conscious. And so they get to their 40s, 50s, 60s, do all this work, and then look back at how they mother and have massive guilt. Mm -hmm. Mm. What would you say to that woman? Mm. Well, my heart goes out to her because she didn't have the knowledge, the information, the awareness. And that's it's so painful to look back on something you cared about so much as parenting and, and feel like, gosh, I'd do it differently now. Um And so my heart goes out to you because that's a painful thing to recognize. And again, your kids are always your kids. They, they still want you to be their parent, their mom or dad, and you can repair, you can repair with your kids, uh, at any point in time, at -hmm. any point in time. I, I think it's, I mean, I have multiple people that I've worked with over the years that have said like, wow, you know, my parents came back and apologized or my parents came back and owned this stuff. And it transformed their relationship Mm. with their adult children completely. Mm. So, I mean, even my parents will say things like, you know, we, we, I wish we'd done some things differently. You know, that's about as far as my parents will go, but it's, it's like, I hear it and I'm like, it's something, it's something. It's like, thanks. Thanks. They, they see what we're doing and they're like, we, we really think this is cool how you're doing it. Even that's cool, you know, cause really different than how my parents parented, but every, I, I want those adults to were the, you know, that are saying that now as their children have grown and, and looking back and feeling regret and remorse or guilt that you can't break people. You can all, you can repair, you know, there's, there's tons of room for repair and, and to build the relationship you want to have now with these adult children mm-hmm. and um, to, to not underestimate the power of that. And, mm-hmm. and that those kids, like, I mean, I'm a kid who grew up with <laughs> parents that weren't very conscious or, you know, didn't have, the information I have weren't in the conversations around personal development that I'm in. And I still feel really grateful for my childhood, you know, and because I've done a lot of work on myself and I don't need them to be perfect. I even remember as a kid being like, I don't need my parents to be perfect. I just wish they'd apologize more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and I'd own it. Yeah. They'd own something, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I think that that can, you know, that can move mountains. Yeah. To, I, uh, to go back and do repair that. Repair is so huge. It is so huge. And I can think of so many clients too, who've had the same thing, a parent come back and, 
and say something and it doesn't fix everything. You still have to do your work, Yes, um, but it makes a huge difference and it makes it feel like your work is working. You know, when you do all this yes. personal development work and then your parents like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And I apologize for that. You're like, oh, yes. validation. Like it just helps integrate everything. So it's totally. a blessing. And, and listen, not every parent's going to do that. It's a rare thing. I'll have to say, yeah, it <laughs> but is. It is. especially of previous generations. Um, but mm-hmm. I love what you said about, you know, it's never too late to repair, even if you have adult children. And I can think of my astrologer. I sound so, I sound to California when I say that my, my astrologer, Jade Luna, he's been on the show many times. And I was talking to him once about how my mom guilt thing. And he said, Christine, what were you doing when you conceived Athena and she picked you as her mother? Who were you? Were you sitting at home baking cookies? Like, and there's nothing sitting at home baking cookies, but he's like, what was your life like? I was yeah. like, well, I was doing this, this, this. He's like, how are you feeling about your career? Well, I was feeling amazing. Like I felt like I was at the top of my game. And that's when she picked you. So yeah. what makes you think she doesn't want that as a mom? And right. I was just like, Oh, (laughs) that's great. She wants time with me, but she also on some level wants the me that makes me, me. And I share that because I do believe our children pick us. And for the women that may be using hindsight to beat themselves up, know that your kids picked you for whatever lessons they needed to learn. And if you were supposed to know everything, you know, now you would have known it. I know that. I mean, it's hard for me to even comprehend that when my guilt is really up, yes. but if we can like drop into that spiritual wisdom of, you know, our kids really did choose us and we're here to nurture them, but also give them some lessons that their soul has asked for. And it, having that spiritual perspective has helped me in those moments where, where nothing's getting me out of the guilt. I have to go Definitely. more to that, that spiritual perspective. Yeah. That there's way more going on here than any of us are in charge of. And yeah it's not all up to us. And they have, our children do have their own life journeys that they're on and their own trajectories. And they're here to learn things and go through things. And we, we can't protect them from all of that. We sometimes will be part of their challenges. And, you know, as my kids get older, I see that more. I'm like, wow, they're really on their own. Their life is starting to unfold. Like they have their own friendships and activities and values that are emerging. And I'm less the center of, of things. And that's kind of scary. It's kind of freeing. And, um, and it's just this incredibly rich process that again, we is is not all up to me and I don't fully even know all the forces at at work Mm -hmm. here. And Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think for those parents that are struggling with really in, in guilt or shame or regret to definitely get support because I, I hate the idea of any parent just like kind of steeping in that alone. I think that's a very, it's a very lopsided perspective of all that they've given and done to, to raise their children and, but worth, worth integrating and, and becoming a more whole person now, but it's hard, hard work, but it's doable. It's worth doing. And there's people who would love to support you with that. Yeah. Well, I know you're one of those people. (laughs) So (laughs) how can people connect with you if they want to learn more about any of your programs or your private practice? I I think probably the best way is just my website, ellenbader.com. It's uh, E-L-L-E-N-B-O-E-D-E-R. And yeah, all the different things I'm up to are, are somehow linked through there. 
Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on and having this conversation with me. Um, It was perfect timing. I reached out to Ellen, everybody after I had left to go, I was going to record my audio book for expectation hangover. And I left to a screaming, clinging to my leg, blocking the door child. I just cried the whole way there. So I was like, Ellen, you need to come on and talk about mom guilt, mostly for me, but I think other people will benefit too. So Thank you so much. And just thank you for the the work that you're doing both in the world and in your family. You know, you and Jason and your family are definitely um, a family Steph and I look up to and and learn a lot from. So just appreciate and just appreciate the honesty too. I just, one of my biggest wishes for moms is just to have way more honest conversations with each other and not be afraid of judgment and not compare and not shame. Oh my gosh. Like love on each other. Love on each other. Definitely. Yeah. It's so my pleasure to connect with you around this, Christine. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course.